Clay, it wasn't the first time, and it won't be the last, but I led you down a zoological path of lies, basically, in our previous conversation. Apparently, Mm -hmm. the primate zindis are the human-looking zindis, and the the other ones are called arboreal, I guess, or sloth zindis, I suppose. But needless to say, I was confused. So maybe you're closer to calling them werewolves than you are primates, but you you learn something every day, I guess. Yeah, they look... uh I call them werewolves because they look exactly like Teen Wolf's dad mm-hmm. in the Teen Wolf movie when he turns into a werewolf to break it to his break the news to his son that they have a history of lycanthropy that he mm-hmm. was never told about because yeah. sometimes it skips a generation. Which honestly, I mean, why even take the chance? You got to tell your kids these things, right? Yeah, you got you got you got to set them up for genetic. You get to they charge you a thousand dollars to do genetic counseling anyway at this point when you're pregnant, so they might as well tell them then that they've got werewolf blood. But primate. I mean, I guess it makes sense. They call, can't call them human zindi or humanoid because it would make no sense right. that they would know that. Right. Uh, so they call them primate, but it's just, I don't know. It seemed weird. Anyway, we're here to talk about The Shipment, which is the latest episode of Star Trek Enterprise. So we're going to play a clip from the episode, and then we'll come back and we'll break it down. Hemocyte can be used for any number of purposes. I don't make a habit of asking our clients what they plan to do with it. Maybe you should. Because this batch is being used to create a weapon to exterminate my people. What? I want to know where the weapon is being built and when it's going to be ready. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not leaving here until I get the answers I need. The Shipment is the seventh episode of the third season. came out on October 29th, 2003. It is 8 out of 28 in the Zindi Crisis arc, written by Chris Black and Brent V. Friedman, directed by David Strayton. In-universe date specifically, not known, it's 2153. In this episode, Enterprise discovers a Zindi mining outpost where components of the Zindi weapon are being assembled. The shipment is a batch of stuff that sounds similar to Ketracel White. It's called <laughs> Coma, Coma Cell or something like that. Chemogen, something like that. I'll look it up as we're sure. talking. Um, it is, I don't know. This is the, I guess this episode is the we're going to let you know that Archer hasn't lost his mind episode in this mm-hmm. arc, I guess. Um, I don't know. But what, what do you, what'd you think about this one? Well, first of all, I was just thinking about how um, there's a secretly dark subtext to Teen Wolf. Because uh, do you think there's a whole subplot that they never get into about the dad uh, torturing himself over whether or not to tell his son that he might be a werewolf? It's the prequel, right? It's like yeah. George Lucas will be brought in to prequelize his his struggles as a as a teen wolf dad but not yet a dad yeah like you got to have that i mean think about that before you're gonna have kids i guess but yeah anyway irresponsible um, not to really <laughs> i think this is probably my favorite episode of the season so far really wow yeah why uh because i think it's the first one that actually dealt with some of the messy grayness of the two sides in a way that I found interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, uh, There's a nice a nice scene with Archer. One of the first scenes where Archer and the uh, the werewolf guy talked to each other I thought was really good. Um, I think I know that actor, but I don't know who it is. The voice, the voice sounds familiar, yeah. but I, I couldn't place it by name. Uh, I, I could take or leave the... The worm gun plot line. Sure. Uh, I guess that probably remains to be seen where that's going to go. But uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought this was closer to the kind of stuff they were doing on Deep Space Nine than this show has gotten for me. Interesting. 
Yeah, because um, sometimes what's funny about the the recording, a little bit of inside baseball, is that sometimes I, I watch the episode, right? And I don't know if you have this happen in other uh, shows and things. <clears throat> uh, probably more shows like uh, Rotten Horror where you're sort of shepherding the whole thing. But I, I watch the episode and then I think about it after I've watched it, right? And I come up with a whole bunch of stuff that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then six hours later, I've forgotten what I was thinking. It's like it's like the you could wake up in the middle of the night and you have your great idea, but for a book, and you forget to write mm-hmm. it down. And you wake up the next morning, you're like, I can't remember what my idea was. Um, or somebody 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 says something awful to you, and you can't think of a good comeback at yeah. the time. No, no like, jerk stores within me. Yeah, eight hours later, you're on the toilet, and you're like, Ah, that's what I should have said. I had. I so this I say that just as a thing where um I'll try to recover what I was thinking but I know that what I was thinking was that this episode to me is a good example of why the show is not Deep Space 9 really. And, oh, interesting. Okay. Um I just I find I find this to be a pretty generic episode of Enterprise. I think mm-hmm. that it's unique to the season in that the entire episode is Zindi based so there's no there's no star trek subplot that's like leading the way that they then get zindi information out of after that sure Mm -hmm. so i don't mind that i think i think the first thing about me in this season in this episode is that i think they've just badly botched the pacing of yeah how archer is supposed to be developing as a character really with anomaly where he threatens to throw that guy out of the airlock coming way too early in the season, I think. And then this episode, maybe it's in the right place, but I don't think that the episodes leading to this have led to what Archer is talking about here. And Mm -hmm. the weakness of this episode is that I don't buy the, like either Archer is unbelievably lucky that he landed the nicest arboreal Zindi in the world, or it's just too much of a stretch that this guy's like, the nicest guy that he could have run into in this situation. You know, it's like, there's no, he doesn't put up a fight. He doesn't doubt anything. Uh, he doesn't, Yeah, he goes, he goes along with that plan pretty easily. Even when it potentially blows up at the end and the, the others in your tone, I'm like, well, the humans are going to destroy us. And he, he sees Archer like running off into the woods or whatever. Mm-hmm. He doesn't tell the Zindi at that point about what he has done with Archer, which would have made sense to me. This guy is completely on Archer's side very quickly and it just struck mm-hmm. me as a problem in a way that a lot of like the romance episodes do, where I don't feel that there's time to bond between the two characters, where such a leap of faith is warranted between the two yeah. of them. Yeah, I think I think the, um, I didn't mind it because I I didn't think that he was. I felt like he was re- reacting on his own morals more than anything else, because the thing that I guess I guess yeah, the leap of faith you have to take is that he believes Archer when Archer says that this machine using this guy's technology or whatever he's mining here killed 7 million people. Um, With nothing else. He just walks into the guy's house and says, here's a bit of a machine that killed a bunch of people. And he's, he goes, they have the script acknowledges it. He's like, am I supposed to believe this? Like, is this good enough? But he does believe it by the end of it. He does. I think they do some sort of scanning of the machine or mm-hmm. some bullshit like that where it's like basically they do like the bare minimum for him to be convinced of what Arch is saying. Yep. And I think he's I don't I don't I don't think it it hinges on the two of them uh bonding as much as it hinges on the Zindi guy 
the Zindi got his own conscience, really. Because that's what he, that's the only reason he's doing it is because he's he consciously his conscience is 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 uh, tainted. He feels responsible for the deaths of seven million people. He's trying to atone for it. Yes. Um. And uh, I think it I think it works a bit for him to for his actions to maybe impart a, a tonal shift on Archer. Um, I do. Th- I will say. I think the crutch of this show is uh all of these episodes that tend to be better involve taking one guy from the other side and putting them in a room with Archer and then just having them have a conversation mm-hmm. where they can both talk about their points of view. Yes. And I mean, I guess there's a reason that works is because that's what the basis of dramatic storytelling is, I guess. Yeah, it's, and it's this, like a play. this this franchise in particular is based around yeah. those kind of episodes. Yeah, and it's uh, I I wonder if it be if it works every time. I don't know if I would call it a crutch because this show doesn't do it that often. They've done it maybe like two or three times, um, but I think it works when they do it. And uh, yeah, I think I think this one worked for me. I, I the I liked Reed being a bit more militant. Again, I don't know why the Makos are there because the Makos are just hanging out. Where where Reed is the one who's like, we should blow us up and kill everybody. I'm very concerned um, about the Makos at this point in the season. Yeah, what the hell's the point of having them there except for one guy with a with a rifle to do nothing? Well, let's go because I I think that I think that's actually a problem. I think it was a bad decision that they made. So they send down Reed and the chief Mako guy um, who doesn't have much to do, but just just on like a narrative level. If you're crafting an away team for an episode, ideally your characters should be the ones who, when put into the situation that they find themselves on the planet, have extremely different points of view that they can mm-hmm. play with at that point. Mm-hmm. What's weird about the Reed and Mako thing is that they are perfectly set up to have different points of view about what to do down there. Right. But they're exactly the same. They're in lockstep with each other. The yeah. whole way through, even though we've had that episode prior where Reed is like, you know, upset with the Makos or is like, yeah, I don't trust these guys. Like, this is this is not the way that this is supposed to be. It's set up so that Reed is the good angel on Archer's shoulder and the Mako would be the one who's like, we got to fucking blow this whole thing up and kill all these sons right. of bitches and get the hell out of right. here. And they don't they don't do that. And instead, there's it's this it's this enterprise problem of they're like, we don't want to talk about the thing that the episode is about. We don't want to like actually get into this we'll have a line of dialogue where archer goes well we can't kill them because then that makes us the bad guys too and then the other zindi will just go along with it and sort of and work it out i i find it i find it different from ds9 because where where all the shows have been dealing with these sorts of like ethical conundrums or questions of humanity or whatever DS9, I feel like, consistently did it in a way that I appreciated where they got, even if I expected them to go where they got. And sometimes DS9 would actually not end up in the place that you expected it to, and it was like, wow, this is kind of an interesting episode. I'm thinking of um, Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night, the one where Kira goes with the time crystal back in the time and sees her mother is slept with Dukats mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. stuff. At the end of that, Kira is angry with her mother for it, which is a very... which is a interesting choice anyway enterprise's problem 
and I think that it's going to lead to bigger problems with this whole Zindi arc is that I find its morality and its ethical conundrums to be like second grade shit. It's like sure. I, I, I find it I find it like um either lazy or patronizing, I guess. Because the moral mm-hmm. of this one is, hey man, not everybody who is a of a group thinks the same way. And Archer, a grown adult, goes, you know, not everybody who's of a group thinks exactly the same way. I just think that mm-hmm. DS9 as a show would never stoop to such like a, a low level thing as the as the like the outlook of the episode i just i think mm-hmm. that they went in more of a like humanistic and rea- reality based outlook you know it's like there was the thing about the cardassians not all cardassians do this but at least it gave you some it's like depth of character to the cardassians like garrick is still a murderer but he's like a nice cardassian and things like that mm-hmm. and this guy is just yeah i'm the nice zindi not all zindi are bad Except for the reptile guys, those guys are all bad to a T. Yeah. So don't trust, don't trust them. So it's, it's this weird thing where the episode. I'm a is nice a, Zindi, but I'm also extremely racist you, towards the, you the reptile Zindi. And it's it's just this other conundrum where I'll throw it back to you. But it's like the le- lesson of the day is that you can't judge a book by its cover, and that not all Zindi are bad Zindi. However, the reptile Zindi and the bug Zindi are clearly bad Zindi. So within the Zindi, there are species that are just bad Zindi. And that completely shoots in the foot the argument that the episode is making, which is that you can't judge a book by its cover. Because even the arboreal Zindi, you're like, oh, these reptile guys, god damn, you can't trust them as far as you can throw them. And it's like, what are you talking about? You, you just told Archer that you didn't have to do that. So it's, I think it's just confused as an episode of TV or an episode of like mm-hmm. um, storytelling, I guess. Well, you know, I I don't I don't think that the choice that that what they have Archer do is is necessarily uh, underbaked or anything because he's he's basically deciding whether or not he's going to start a war because if they blow that place up, there's no way to avoid the fact that they're there, right? And ultimately, he finds a way to um, conti- continue continue moving forward without actually having to engage uh violently although i don't know why <laughs> the the way the way that the the werewolf guy talks his way out of why one of those drones got blown up is like questionable <laughs> at best but um i was out looking for bugs and your thing scared me so i blew it up <laughs> but sure. the other one the other one got away too so why didn't right tell yeah them? the other one got away apparently saw nothing um but like yeah I I I didn't mind I thought that the, I thought that that stuff worked because I think the the what Archer is playing with here is is a bit is still of the same kind of mindset <clears throat> that he was a few episodes ago where he's like you know I don't want to be the one to ex- extinguish another species off the yeah, out of the universe or whatever. Yes. Like that that it's still his motivate his decisions are still coming from that point but they're also mixed a bit with this idea that they are trying to avenge the deaths of millions of people so i think for this show i find it i find it i I think that it works i think deep space nine has an advantage because they spend so much time with these opposing viewpoints whereas this show does not Mm -hmm. because this is more or less this is the first time they've ever spoken to a Zindi. But I, um, I guess the problem comes for me from the angle that like 
say Archer, you know, Archer in the end of extinction, he keeps the virus because he doesn't want to wipe out that species. And he's like, I'm above this. I'm not going to wipe out that species. Mm-hmm. This one, he is, you know, not willing to, he, he, he learns to not judge a book by its cover or whatever, whatever the appropriate metaphor is for like, not all Zindi are bad Zindi. I feel that Archer comes to his lessons in a way that feels like it's preordained. He has to get to that point of understanding. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that the episodes themselves really explore why Archer should feel this way. And is it like on a technical level, it's because so much of fucking enterprise episodes are running through the forest with guns. Like there's just Mm -hmm. no time to really get into stuff like that. But you know, this is a what they do in this episode is basically they put if you're going on a 9/11 allegory you thought that the Zindi were al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. This one reverses it where Archer is potentially the terrorist actor because mm-hmm. he's like I can blow this place up if I want to and I'm a small gorilla cell and they're not going to know what's happening. Um it doesn't really get into that at all. Like there there's mm-hmm. no I just feel that they're sort of lazily approaching this 9-11 allegory and it's not really an examination, maybe because it was made too soon after 9-11. It's not really an examination of anything. It's just that we know this Starfleet captain like Archer has to act this way. He's going to start off really mad and mm-hmm. he's going to eventually, we, we know that this, this season has no other way to end except for Archer and the Zindi reconcile, right? Like that's the only way that this can get. So he's going to realize that his whole thing is... He's going to start mad, real, learn more about the Zindi, and then become friends with the Zindi or something like that. Mm-hmm. So along the way, I just feel that Archer hits these beats that are a little bit divorced from the story that they're telling. And he acts sort of inappropriately, but in the grand scheme, it kind of makes sense. But it's not really like Anomaly happened way too early. I think that this mm-hmm. one is just... He's not he's not realizing what seems plainly obvious to me in the in the first place. It just seems very mm. um low intelligence in some ways. That Archer is just not very thoughtful about these things. And when you have something like the war on terror, it feels like a childish take on the war on terror or something. It's like a kumbaya kind of take on it. I just find it mm-hmm. a little bit depressing because I think DS9 would have done better with the material by actually getting into what those ideas came from. Like it, it, the Cardassians are Nazis and they, they, they right. treated them that way. And they were afraid about people liking Dukat too much because they made Dukat actually a fully realized character before they fucked him up in the final season. But the Zindi aren't that to me. They're just these guys. And I think that it all, it all falls apart somewhere along the line. I've been talking a lot though. Well, I, I actually don't read the episode as a, judge uh you can't judge a book by its cover thing because i don't think archer ever really has that change of heart because he's he's not coming at that he he doesn't come at the zindi being like you zindi piece of shit blah 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 he's essentially explaining to this guy what his people have done yes i think but he's angry at him he he holds him personally yeah Yeah. i mean he's he's angry about the, the the thing but he's like i don't i don't think he comes away thinking that he misjudged the zindi or anything like that because i think he it's i i i read it more about more as the zindi guy realizing and what the cost of his 
research was and what he, how, the role he was playing in something he didn't even realize he was playing a role in. Um, but isn't Archer's, find- isn't Archer's thing there to realize that not all Zindi are the same? Really, like he, he comes in with the anger of, you must know what you're doing. You must be responsible for this. And the guy goes, well, I just live on this planet. They, they gave me a contract and I made some stuff. Uh, you know, it's, I understand Archer's anger and thinking that way. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a simplistic lesson to me that, yeah, I guess this guy didn't know what was going on and not all Zindi are bad. I, I feel that that's Archer's main takeaway along from along with the guy, the, the other Zindi sort of telling him his lesson learned that he doesn't want to be responsible for it. But I do feel that Archer realizes something about his prejudice towards the Zindi in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's possible. I, I think the I think the thing, the, the tough thing is, is that he plays Archer's being played at such the same level that I feel like they have him keep making the same that his his character changes keep happening the same way where he comes in hot and then he realize comes figures out a reason not to be so hot about the situation that he's in which yeah it's it it, it can get kind of old after a while because he's he plays it the same way every single time. Yeah, it's true to Archer so, never learning a lesson. Really, it's like it, it's that consistent character uh, character dynamic that he has. I, I but and I think that that ties into the bad pacing of his character. He, mm. he should have he should have not come in episode one red hot. He should have been like, yeah. I'm Captain Archer. I'm going to try to find the Zindi and talk to them. And then things should have just gone horribly wrong for the Enterprise in the Expanse. And then he starts getting desperate about what he needs to do. But they started him at 11, and he has nowhere to go except down because he's going to learn eventually that the Zindi are, you know, they're, they're going to work this out somehow. There's some kind right. of reconciliation is coming. So he, has to, he has, only has the place to go down, and it just feels like, you're on the wrong side of the narrative arc there. There's no escalation. It's all just him coming down, and it's not as satisfying right. as if things were getting worse for them. Yeah, I think I think they're trying to they're trying to synthesize that by having like a two steps or one step forward, two steps back kind of thing when it comes to learning information. So it's like this episode, they find out where that shit's being made, but that's not really the weapon that doesn't really give them what they want, but they put the tracker on the ship, but then the ship jumps to light speed <laughs> and goes through a, a boom tube or something and yeah. they can't track it anymore. So it's like, I hate it. Like honestly. Yeah. Sorry. Go yeah. Ahead. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so it's like, they're doing these like little setbacks, but they're not really, it's not like the enterprise is running into these huge setbacks every episode. Or running into these huge problems, so you you don't have the characters changing too much because there's not really a lot to change to because all of the all of the story movement is fairly incidental, yeah, and all of the conflict that they deal with is fairly incidental. I actually thought it was really funny that the first this is the first episode of the season I think that had a previously on thing, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was like just to remind people that they were going to this planet. Very strange. Um, previously on. Where, where they got the information yeah. about the planet, it just felt totally unnecessary. Yeah, I was expecting the 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 blue mind control device, or whatever the hell that thing the crab guy had was. <laughs> I, I was expecting because they they show that thing again. Yeah, yeah. So I was expecting that to come back somehow, but that didn't matter at all. Um, yeah, it's a weird callback for something like 
they they couldn't have covered that in a line of dialogue where they're like, we finally made it to that planet where we were told that they were building the gun. Yeah. So, Reed okay, has that line about Hoshi's psychic friend or whatever. He's like, remember when our yeah. psychic friend told us to come here? That was fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the the arc. This never feels like it's getting going because, like you're saying, it's not – the pacing of it's really weird because it doesn't even really feel like it's there's that much pacing to it. No. Because they are in this weird position where they can't have the Enterprise do that much because they have to maintain the fact that nobody knows they're there. And so you can't have them come into contact with the Zindi and escalate things that way. But you also and you also can't have them doing too much shit behind the scenes like blowing up refinement factories and stuff like that for the same reason. So they're kind of in this holding pattern where they have to do these small character stories that some work better than others, but they never really, they all seem to move the story forward in the same way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why they feel kind of uh, unsatisfying. I mean, do you think, again, for everyone listening, I, I'm unfamiliar with the Zindi arc. I've not seen this season. Um, is Are what they're doing a reversal of what, someone would expect from a 9-11 allegory with Starfleet as the good guys. Are they, are they going to, are they making the enterprise potentially the terrorist actor who is going against, because the Zindi are interesting. Like the Zindi are almost America in some ways because they are a bunch of different States that Mm -hmm. exist together as a group. And they all have different well, opinions. Well, except for things. the except for the bird ones, the bird yeah, ones well, are all dead. The bird ones are Puerto Rico. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, the bird ones are dead because we see what happens. They didn't know. They didn't know this. <laughs> However, many years later, they forgot to learn this lesson from the Zindi people. Um, why you shouldn't put a bomb inside the planet? Yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> the Klingons didn't learn this, it's, so it's coming up. And I we guess know that, what's going to happen to Kronos when that bomb finally goes off. That did answer that question from the first episode when they got that Zindi prisoner and he told them to go to that place and they got there and it was yeah. rubble. The plan was gone, mm-hmm. so I guess that's the Zindi homeworld. I don't know if that was a a last minute troll job from that guy where he's just like, "Yeah, you want to see where my homeworld is? Go here." I don't know what his intentions yeah, were. I, I don't know if I can't remember if they say how long he's been locked up there or if it the not a hundred years or whatever. Right? Yeah, I don't yeah, think I don't, he's been there that long. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure why they did that. Still, but uh, sorry, I cut you off. Well, is there America, is, is there potential the for that? Guys? Yeah, is there, I mean, is there potential for the Enterprise somehow works itself into the position of they have to be like guerrilla fighters who are against a larger entity? And the entity that they're fighting thinks that it's defending itself by fighting back. I just think that mm-hmm. if that is what happens, that's an incredibly ballsy take for like a year after 9-11 came out yeah, that you're going to invert that. That's why I don't think that they're doing it. But I don't know. Could you see it going that way? Is that possible? Um, is that a good idea? <laughs> is, that, is that like... Is that? I think I would know about that if that were to happen, I think. I yeah. think it would just hurt. I, th- yeah. I think Star Trek Enterprise would have been on the same shit list as the Dixie that's, Chicks that's at the right. time. I would have put Drowning Pool in the Dixie Chicks in Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that, I think that would be a very interesting way to go. Um, I 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't honestly see that happening no. realistically. But because uh, I mean, because th- if you think about it the other way, that they're not doing that, then you are getting a episode here where it is the idea that uh, America was attacked by Al Qaeda. And so now everyone thinks that Muslims are bad. And yeah. so then you send these guys over to the Muslim nation and they meet a nice oh, guy. Some, some of them aren't in they, a lot of them aren't involved with this at all or have any idea what's going on. And so I, I could see it being a much more, more simplistic thing like that, where it's like, yeah, not everybody over there is trying to kill you or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, and I think that's what they are doing. Mm-hmm. I, I think my problem stems from maybe this was more timely back then, but I'm, pushing 40 now and it just seems it's a frustrating dodge of a topic to have right mm-hmm. like say when uh say when 9-11 happened and there was an increase in anti-muslim outlook right mm-hmm. what percentage of people if you ask them on the streets would go every muslim is a is a member of al-qaeda I know that they exist, but do you think it's like bigger than 10%? Is it like 5%? Oh, geez. I have no idea. Um, I don't think it's a I very- mean, that's not, that's not to speak to subconscious, uh, subconscious bias that definitely exists, even in people who would say, no, I don't think that. But No, but, um, I, but I think that that's – I think that for, for like an event that was so complicated as 9-11, the takeaway – where there's like this whole, you know, global thing at play about like this jihadist religion that is like, you know, believes in murder will lead you to the afterlife. And it's like the impossible mm. enemy because they're just going to, they can kill themselves and it's a victory for them. And it's got this whole global, like nations working together. There's, there's no, you're not fighting a, a state. You're fighting these like independent actors who can just sort of move and get passports and come into the EU. They can come into America. There's, there's you can't stop them. It's this kind of religious belief, religious fervor. Mm-hmm. And then your takeaway is, well, they're not all bad guys. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like this is, it's such a childish take on it. I think that's what's well, frustrating to me. You know, I, I don't know if you can really uh put a put a number on it but i mean 70 something million people voted for the guy that wanted to stop all muslims from coming to the country right so, but th- like that's because we're, we operate in, in a binary choice we only have two options and that was and that was 20 years later you know <laughs> that wasn't even the day after <laughs> i just i don't i don't buy that that i i like yeah. i think that people have i think that people have depth of opinion and i i, I would say that the number of people, if you ask them, who said, do you think that all Muslims are members of Al-Qaeda? It would be like sub 5%. Like if sure. you got an honest answer from them. So mm-hmm. I don't know why we have this episode that feels that that's the important point to get across. Like we're in kindergarten and it's like, yeah, you yeah. know, there's actually groups are not all bad people. I, just, I think, well, I do, I do think the timing probably has a lot to do with it because I think Probably there there was so much reactionary stuff coming out after that event because obviously the, America hadn't seen anything like that since World War II. Yep. Um, I I think probably that stuff was 
heightened and might have been a little bit more time. I do think it's, yeah, it's probably a, it's probably a bit simplistic, um, even at the time. Yeah. But, uh, not that, not, I, that I, not that it didn't exist out there. It's, I, I think, I think you're right that it's probably this, epi- this concept is probably too soon to nine 11 probably like to come mm-hmm. out two years later. It just feels like, um, Maybe with contemporary eyes at the time, it might have seemed more interesting, but now it seems a little bit cartoonish in a lot of ways, and I think that that's what I'm picking up on. Well, it's interesting because, like I like I said, the thing that I found the most interesting was the Zindi side of it. Was that that character's reckoning with what he'd been doing, and I, the book by its cover thing, I it didn't even really register with me, mm-hmm. um, and maybe. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know, but I, yeah, I, I found the Zindi, what the Zindi was wrestling with, a lot more interesting than the stuff that Ar- that anything Archer, any change that Archer went through. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess he's supposed to be like Oppenheimer, right? You invent the atomic bomb, and then you're like, "What the fuck have I done?" Basically. Um, yeah. Because again, I mean, Archer doesn't go in there saying, "Let's blow everybody up." Like he doesn't go in there ex- looking to kill everybody because he blames everybody. He's like, "Well, we can't blow this place up," and. We we even if we could, we're not going to kill civilians when we do it. So, it like I I I feel I feel that message. I'm not saying it's not there, but I feel that less than I did the um, the Zindi side of it, where he like the the Oppenheimer element of it. Yeah, I do I do think it is funny though. Where <laughs> it's only at the end when he's talking to his Zindi overlords or or. Um, clients or whatever when they're like oh yeah no these people they're ruthless a ruthless species coming to here to kill us and only then he's like oh shit i didn't even consider that <laughs> he, looks just, archer run, he looks at archer run, running away is my favorite part of that just, i just oh. sabotaged my species because a a guy i just met was nice to me <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of downside to it i think yeah. yeah he has a lot to a lot to lose there i i have yeah, I, I think I just have problems with that turn, really. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, I don't know where else to go with it. But we, the other thing I was thinking is sort of tangential. We were talking about prestige TV on the Discord channel. Mm-hmm. People were mm-hmm. sort of defining what they think about prestige TV. Um, and this is just another angle on what I think my problem with the episode uh, is: is that. Uh, in the Discord, people were sort of coming up with rules that make a prestige television. Like it's after this period. It's, it's typically a serialized story. It's usually shorter seasons, stuff like that. Kind of a technical uh, outlook on what makes the show prestige, quote unquote. And I was thinking about it. I didn't recognize it at the time, but I think that this episode made me realize something that what I consider to be prestige TV. Prestige TV was the first set of shows that I can remember where characters would talk to each other and possibly lie, but the show would not have the character acknowledge that they had lied about mm. it. So it was it was yeah. it was basically TV for adults where because I remember watching The Wire being very confused the first time when it came out, which is in the early two thousands, because I was like, Well, that character, he said he wasn't gonna do that. Why did he do it? And it's sure. just it's just more it doesn't have and it doesn't end the episode of the character going, the reason I lied is because I have to do this to get this job promotion. You just you you 
you it's more realistic and you glom onto it. And I think that that's mm-hmm. a big factor of prestige TV where Tony Soprano is a terrible <laughs> character, but he thinks he's a nice guy. He's, he's always, his good deeds are always undone by the horrible stuff they has to do. Walter White is, and it leads into audience confusion where Walter White is seen as a good character or a good person by people because they don't understand that because the fact that he doesn't get up and say, I'm an arch villain at this point, that right. means he's the good guy of your story. And, Enterprise, and, and everybody everybody hates his wife. Everyone hates his wife who's trying to hold everything together. <laughs> yeah. So what's what's happened to Enterprise is Enterprise came out at the same time, right? But Enterprise is totally lacking any nuance that those shows had. And I'm not saying this, sure. this is trying to be prestige television, but this is trying to handle a topic that is more nuanced than what the show is capable of doing, which is delivering Archer, giving you a soapbox thing to stand on. I just think that it's a, it's a, it's another thing about bad timing. It's like it came out at a point where shows were really developing their writing and really getting good at what they were wanted to do and weren't so obvious. And this just feels like you have a great concept and a great idea, but unfortunately Archer has to just make a friend and get over it. You know, it's, it's just kind right. of like, wow, that's a real letdown. And that, that's the only other point or the other angle of attack I had. Yeah. This show, um, this is probably going to sound really, really negative, but this show kind of feels like when the monkeys started writing their own music, mm-hmm. <laughs> because like they were, they are presented as this, uh, you know, gear uh, machine banging out music from better songwriters and they're putting out these pop hits and stuff. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we want to be taken seriously as musicians. So we're going to start writing our own stuff. And that just opens up a whole new door that you probably should of like criticism and that you are lumping onto it. And, and honestly, I mean, maybe the monkey stuff is better than I remember. It being, <laughs> but it's not, it's not as good as the, the Neil Diamond songs that were written for them. Let's put it that way. Um, it, it opens up this door where it's like, are you guys really ready to ta- like do, do are we really ready for the monkeys to write like a war protest song? <laughs> America you know? demands it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you. like it's that kind of thing where it's like, okay, I see what you're going for. I appreciate that you're coming to this party. But maybe this isn't the place to do it. Or maybe you guys aren't the ones to do it because Enterprise is like it's fine. It's like a <sighs> It's a fine show, but it's really just, it's like a, uh, so Marvel, Marvel Comics owns the copyright to the name Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they keep pumping out Captain Marvel comics for the past 50 years is so they can maintain that copyright. It's not because they love the character. The char- well, I mean, now the character is like a centerpiece to everything they're doing, but what, uh, it's not because they love the character. The old stuff wasn't because they loved the character and, and had faith the character was like a, a a sales leader. It was just because they. it was a brand. Uh, it was for branding. And that's yeah. what Enterprise feels like to me. It, even, even now, it still feels like this is a, a branded show that's here to maintain the brand. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's not, the idea is great. The core idea of it is great, but it's just it's so on autopilot so often. Yeah. That when they try to do something and tackle fucking nine eleven, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. <laughs> you know? I guess, I guess my 
My pushback there, because you said at the start that DS9, you thought this was a DS9-esque episode. I won't say that <laughs> you thought this was DS9 level, but I'm having a hard time under, like explaining why, but I just feel that DS9 understood nuance and conflict better. Like, I just sure, think, I don't sure, think there would be yeah. an episode where Cisco. I'm sure there. I'm sure there are. So this is the problem with it. It's like I'm sure there's an episode where, and there are episodes where someone meets a nice Cardassian and they can't believe it, right? But I feel the DS9 episodes that did that duet is kind of an example. The guy mm-hmm. dies at the end because another Bajoran is like, "Fuck you, I hate right. you," and he kills him. And it's like it, there's a there's this at least this like. Um, catharsis or like grounded realism in the way mm-hmm. that those characters are reacting where here I really feel like it's just Archer goes in and the guy's like no I'm a nice Indian and Archer goes oh well okay They're like thank you thank you for thank you for helping me I, I just don't it's so ripe for what needed to happen and the, the arboreal Zindi guy needs to happen in this show you have to have some character who convinces archer that he's wrong i just think it's so poorly done in in that workmanlike fashion that enterprise always does where it's just like we're hitting the points we're hitting the beats it's coming through that you miss the chance to have a ds9 type episode on it where you walk away thinking about it in the way that you think about duet not that this has to be duet Mm -hmm. but not in the way that you think about like wow that cardassian really did something that he believed in and it came at a great cost. This guy, he lies to the Zindi with the stupidest lie and gets away with it and then just helps Archer out. It just feels like there's no stakes and it's a nine 11 story. How can there be no stakes? Yeah. Oh yeah. The stakes are extremely low. Yeah. Well, and I I just, I don't, I don't think that, um, uh, what the hell was I going to say? Um, Again, I just I don't feel like Archer changes that much because I don't think he's really changed his attitude. I guess I I, I don't I don't really see what he's convinced of by this guy because they they haven't really when like I said when I get when they get there he's not looking to blow the place up. He's not looking to kill everybody. Yeah. He's looking to uh, do this in a tactical way and he doesn't leave there. I don't, I don't feel like he left there with his mind changed about stuff. It doesn't change his approach. I don't think to anything. No, he still has um, the same ultimate goal. I think. I, right. Yeah. And I think that's part of, I think that's probably part of where the problem is, is that for an episode like this, you would think that this character would impart something on Archer that changes his outlook, but I don't think that happens. I think Archer does things the way Archer's going to do it. The other guy changes. If you if you want to, I don't even know if you would call it a change, but he has a realization of yeah. whatever. And he, he, helps he gets Archer told out. information that he didn't know yes. previously. Yeah, he gets told information and he has a realization. Um, but like, I don't. I didn't feel like Archer comes away from the story with like a new outlook on the on the Zindi as a people or anything. You think the next arboreal Zindi he runs into, he's going to dislike? I don't know what's what's he like. <laughs> he's like he's like Robert Oppenheimer. Um, <laughs> I I guess that would be a difference. I think that he, I think that the next arboreal into he runs into he's going to be like, hey, I met a really nice one of you before. Are you nice? And I hope you are. The next reptilian he runs into, he's going to punch in the face the first time he sees it. 
Um, <laughs> they, well, I mean, everybody knows the reptilians are all assholes. They so. are the reptile brains. Yeah, I don't have too much. And I sound overly negative. I think this is not to spoil. This is like a perfectly average episode of Enterprise to me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like it's just it's just right there. I just um, and we don't even really need to talk about Trip and the gun because I don't think that it's kind of those scenes are kind of fun, but they don't do anything. I was expecting more out of it and it, it doesn't mm-hmm. lead to anything. I, I would be shocked if that stuff doesn't come up somehow down the line. I actually, I think the most interesting thing about this episode is that we learn that the Zindi technology all have living creatures inside. Yeah. Them. They're biological. Yeah. 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 Like even those drones, those drones had like a weird, like Dalek squid thing inside <laughs> it that oozed out after it got killed. Um, yeah, yeah that's, I, I thought the. I mean, you do learn a little bit about the Zindi. You learn that they all they are all species from the same planet that fought each other in a war and they destroyed mm-hmm. their planet. Um, I guess that's supposed to be the conflict between the whole group. I think I think I'm still hazy on the reach of the Zindi. Like, mm-hmm. how are they a Dominion esque force that sort of yeah, runs things? I think- I think that's the remains the biggest problem with the season is I don't know what they do, right? Or how or where they're doing it, why they're doing it, or how f- are are the Zindi like feared? Or are, are they even close? Because, right? Does anyone know? No one seems to know about the Zindi. Archer asks yeah. everybody, "Have you heard about the Zindi?" And they say, "No." But they've they've run into like two of them. Yeah, but, but also this. To, go ahead. The, the arboreal Zindi. You also get the sense that while well, they have the council scenes, which are all the species talking to each other, this guy seems to be on his own planet doing his own thing, working for the Zindi at the same time mm-hmm. as he is a Zindi. You know, so it's like there's not a. I just don't understand the institutional structure of what the Zindi are supposed, right. to, supposed to represent. He's making like. <laughs> it is. I, if you really want to take a step back, it is kind of really difficult to believe that this guy who basically it's it's like pulling aside a, a guy who works for like lockheed martin yeah and informing him that he's building you know showing Patriot him a missiles. picture of a blown up mosque in a bag yeah. or something yeah and then he's like oh my god i didn't realize the the work on rocket propulsion in missiles i was doing <laughs> was being used to build weapons right it yeah. is it is a little bit whatever but i you know that that your mileage may vary on that. He stuff, has some but. line where he's like, he calls it like the asbestos of the twenty second century. It's like it does everything. You put a little bit of this shit in your coffee, it tastes fantastic. You put it in a bar, yeah. It blows I, up. I mean, I guess that's uh, you can your suspension of disbelief can can work with that if it's like whatever they're refining is not something that is only used for weapons. It's used for like everything. It just also happens to be used for weapons. No. He, I think he also has a line where he's like, I knew when they requested 99% pure catcher cell yeah. white that it was going to be a bomb. <laughs> Should have uh, built him a nuclear weapon out of used pinball machines parts like Doc Brown. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think the, the, the Zindi just are, feel so ill-defined to me. It's weird because they're like overly defined, but they're also undefined. Yeah. Because they've got those, we, we see the different species that take up the... But, make up the zindi we see that they are in conflict we see that some of them are like more dickish than the other ones but their place in the universe is very vague yeah um i don't know if the story about them warring with each other is that supposed to be like 
the catalyst for why they decided to strike out against the humans because it's like we already lost one planet we can't if there's even a one to you know crib yeah there's a cheney or rumsfeld that said if there's even a one percent chance they're an enemy we have to take it as an absolute truth or mm-hmm. whatever or batman says that about superman like, <laughs> you know, yes very I, timely movie from Zack snyder they um because they're they they're dangerously close to the dominion in a lot of ways if it's a if it's a xenophobic thing that's basically the dominion they, they've just copied them over into dominion, this show at least the dominion had a like a an ethos they did these was, guys we want to destroy we want to destroy things before they hurt us which uh, the zindi feel they are supposed to be going in that way i can't believe that they do there must be something else to it but i don't know what it would be because otherwise they're just a carbon copy of what the dominion are um, yeah and i think i think i think that's the, the the thing is like we don't as much as they the they're not really moving the zindi story forward because the stuff that we are learning about the zindi is not like consequential stuff yeah like we don't know what the zindi plot is if there is one what their deal is it's just they're kind of like they're the MacGuffin for the season is we got to find the Zindi or whatever. It's, it's, read, it's tough to really f- care about. Honestly. Did you see um, Chabon wrote a couple blog posts? Michael Chabon wrote a couple blog posts about um, one of them was the Romulan empire, like Romulan culture. You were like a couple thousand words about what he thinks Romulan culture is like and he describes it mm, and things no, like I that. Didn't, I, didn't, I think I saw it going around, but I didn't read it. It's interesting. Um but it it's a it's probably similar to this in that it's no it's not plot and it doesn't help you understand anything but mm-hmm. you're like i have a great understanding of how the or the picard series it's like i have a great understand of, understanding of how he thinks the romulans are but it doesn't mm-hmm. help the picard series plot in terms of like th- this didn't add anything to it i feel that it's the same for the the zindi i know all their back of the baseball card stats but i don't know if this is a guy i can trust to hit the ball right now you know there's no there's right, no right. there's no sense of what they mean as a people and what that means for enterprise i guess is the the, the basis for that so you don't have any sense of their powers or you don't have any sense of their reach you don't have any sense of what their plans are yeah world building is great but if the world building you're doing is not being reflected by the story decisions of the world that you're building then what's the point we'll wrap it up yeah i agree we'll wrap it up there we'll play a clip from the episode we'll come back read some patron thoughts give our final thoughts about the shipment i don't think it's an unreasonable request it doesn't concern you it concerns all of us we've learned there's a threat to our people what kind of threat a ruthless alien species if we don't act, they'll destroy us. Thank you very much for listening today to the podcast. It was the shipment. We covered it in depth for the past 50 minutes. Thank you very much to our patrons for supporting us. If you want to go to uh, support us, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to do it. A couple of bucks a month, you get extra stuff. We talked about Iron Man last month. We revisited the TOS episode, The Ultimate Computer. This month we have Predator and the Tholian Web revisit for Star Trek. So if you're interested in Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Aliens, you can listen to our Predator stuff during the Patreon. Does, I mean, I know uh, <clears throat> Real Ripe, Real Rotten has been kind of on hiatus, but <clears throat> is that not 
that's got to be one of his highest rated, right? I think it's high 80s, but T2 is his highest, I think. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I'm Term- still Terminator is. I think Terminator is 100%. Original Terminator? Yeah. 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 I'm still looking forward to doing End of Days. So yes, I know we we, we should reboot Run uh, Real Ripe. It's just who's got the time for these things? But Predator well, you know, it. once we're done with Enterprise, we've got nothing else to do. <laughs> That's right. Unless we ain't we ain't hit that goal yet. If you go to Patreon, it's the only way to get that full cure. We'll have so much time doing one Voyager every six weeks. <laughs> that we'll want to do something mm-hmm. else. Uh, Unless if you don't want to hear us cover the best and worst of Danny DeVito movies. <laughs> Then <laughs> throw some cash at the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lipensky file. Special I mean, thank honestly, you to our captains. I was just going to say, honestly, who are we kidding? There's, there's like eight new series coming out. We're going to be I know. doing this till we die. Yes. Special thank but you. But hey, you can help pay for the funeral. <laughs> Special thanks. Go to Patreon. To Tarek Latif, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Mike Barnett, Michael Pond, Andrew Trillog, Matthew Russ, Samuel Custer, Matt Cutler, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, Nick Sergi, Sean, Grim Santo, Bradley Killens, Dwayne Hackett, Kevin Race, Darth, Darth Mosk, Vault 13 Hero, Jordan Cooper, Russell Oge, Rune Vendler, HH28, Stefan Minton, Derek Zajac, Paul Roscoe, Jacob123, Poindexter G, Johnny Frances- Johnny Franceschi, I think it is, Mike Harris, Nick the Rat, Captain Brazen, Eric Santuan, Jakey's Gamer, Kevin Lowry, Corey Martin, Patrick Seba, Garoppolo John Zorn, William Scheisler, Rayhan Jaffer, Zane Majors, Soylent Blue, Woodrow, Dave Davies, Retail, Worf's Tiny Brown Dicks, The Voyager is Unstoppable, uh, Olivier Bardot, Tom Hickey, Captain McMunchausen, James McLennan. Thank you very much. I know I always I, make fun of the number of names, but it is uh, much appreciated. I do have a question about our the specifics of this, because... We're going to do Voyager. Not It's not just, as we said, it's not just a, a plane-breaking thing. It's like as long as we're up at 900, we'll do Voyager, right? Yes. So does that mean if we hit, let's say we hit Voyager tomorrow, do we bail out of Enterprise and start Voyager? Or do we have to, is it, it's, it's not just the bait and switch where it's like, we got to get to 900, but we have to stay at 900 through another season we, and a half we of hit it, We hit it just before the climactic episode of the Zindi arc. It's like, oh, and now we're mm-hmm. going to Voyager. We'll see you later. I don't think well, yeah, so. Yeah, like if we, we bail out, we start Voyager, and as soon as it dips off, we jump back in Enterprise. Just because I, I know people uh, maybe might mishear that, I don't think that will be the case of what we're doing. Uh, we'll continue with Enterprise. <laughs> Your support is much appreciated. Um, and you're gaming the system that way is probably a bad idea. It's just a way for Voyager, but the yeah Voyager. I thought you were going to go in a different direction. Like, how do we maintain? Is it the nine? If we dip below nine hundred, the goal. What happens to Voyager coverage at mm. that point? Well, that too. That too. Yeah. We we have to hash that out. I think because that is something that would be concerning. Um. All right, let's get to this patron thoughts. Thank you, patrons, for all your support. As always, very kind. I have to assume you're not just doing this just for Voyager and that you actually do enjoy the, <laughs> enjoy the content to this point. Um, actually, shipment. most of our money comes from the guy who played Chakotay. Yeah. <laughs> it comes from uh, Seven of Nine's cat suits. Matthew Ross says, the shipment, that 30, 30 second, my brain is fried when we record late at night. I can't read. The 36-second recap was really not necessary, and I found it distracting. I suppose it's about illegally processed uranium and how tough Archer is, and then it kind of turns into the bounty by being able to guilt an alien to helping him. The strange organic rifle was cool, and I half expected Flocks to eat the worm thing. Why is Archer now going on every single away mission? The Zindi at this point feel very mustache twirly despite their avian story. 
It was fine. Three canisters of chemocyte. It's chemocyte out of five. Chemocyte. Sounds like it's balding lone, medicine. Lone Ranger branded drink. Oh, yeah, that's good, too. Jakey's Gamer says the shipment. Archer's character turn continues and the enemy becomes more humanized. Clearly seeing some reaction and commentary on the aftermath of 9-11 in this one. The scene outside between Archer and Reed and the scenes with Archer and the Arboreal Zindi are really well done. Overall, not bad. Three out of five. I did like the Arboreal Zindi. I think that he's well acted and well played. I yeah, think, he's I, good. I thought the script yeah. didn't serve him as well as the performance did. I like that they all wear three belts yep. wherever he's from. Yeah. It looks like very uncomfortable alien makeup. Um just doesn't look like a, a, a well-conceived thing. All the Zindi are kind yeah. of rough, except for the human ones. Uh, Nick the Rat says, The werewolves betray their own for the pink skins. I love the Zindi guns are rigged to blow when you use them and not when you rip the worms out. Archer scowls. Trip wants revenge. <laughs> Hoshi does something. Pineapple boy tries to be the voice of reason. T'Pol wiggles her eyebrows. Phlox does something reassuring, but in a cautious manner. I think I saw Mayweather. When did they start punching Nazi lizards already? I remember there being more of that in season three. Two out of five. Royo says say two or three. Two. He gave it a two. Oh, really? Yeah. Royo says, despite being the captain of a starship, a trained diplomat, and despite losing every fist fight he's ever been in, it didn't involve a prisoner tied to a chair. Archer decides to personally lead a commando raid into what he believes is a weapons factory because this facility has no security and is completely unguarded. This place should have been the perfect target for all those pirates and slavers we saw in the previous episodes. So much for. So much for, I'm certain you've noticed, this is not one of the friendly regions of space. Archer decides to deploy those diplomacy skills by taking a refinery engineer hostage, chuck a piece of probe at him, and accusing him of being a mass murderer. Despite Archer's only evidence being a chunk of metal that does not seem to even remotely prove any malfeasance, he somehow convinces the Zindi via Stockholm Syndrome to betray his own people. Episode contrivances aside, this episode feels like it has more world building in it than all of season one, a two out of five. Yeah. He convinces the arboreal city <laughs> quite well. He's Robert Oppenheimer, though. He's built it, built into him. It is, it is also really interesting. Like you got the make. Why do they? Why why do the make? You go into a weapons depot and one Mako goes with you. Again, yeah. obviously, you're not trying to start a war, but I mean, what the hell are they there for? I'm concerned about the Mako. I think that the show could potentially not do anything with them and just inserted yeah. them into the show. I haven't seen. There's been no building towards a mutiny or anything from them. Yeah, you know. Well, if this was if this was coming out today, we would already have been told that there is a Mako spinoff show in the works, yeah. which is why they they happen to show up in this one. Does it, until does it, until that main you don't get that until the main Mako gets tossed <laughs> into a wormhole and has to go back in time, though. There's even a thing where you think they're going to get into it and. The Mako says something, and Archer's like, is that your professional opinion or something? He yells at him, and then the guy just goes, no, I'm just giving a tactical analysis of it. It's like, I don't understand, again, why Reed and that guy were sent to just go along with Archer on everything. Mm-hmm. Why, why? I don't know. It's just, it's just bad. Conceptually, it's just bad. They, they have to be antagonistic towards Archer, or Archer has to be towards them, or they have to be towards each other. I just don't understand them going here's, down there. Here's an interesting idea. What if you – do you think this would work better if the themes were relatively the same, but you sent one Mako down to case the place? And so he's the person who in, interacts with the, the, the werewolf guy. 
and so you've got you've got the point of view of a military guy dealing with with this person who is not involved as far as he knows with creating a weapon of mass destruction he's just pulling the stuff out of the ground yep well, i think you have is to, that i think you ahead. have to have a i would have done archer in a squad of makos go down mm-hmm. and it becomes borderline a mutiny down there when the makos are like we have to blow this place up and yeah. archer doesn't want to do that it's crazy to me that like that contrast in character is right there and yeah. they have <laughs> never used it i know yeah and like the make like the make in this one reed is the one who wants to blow the place up yeah it's the rick makeup's just there for the ride <laughs> like i don't get it i don't understand why you put that element in there if you're not gonna use it yeah that's what they've been in the, the past couple episodes with mako they've just been the guy with a gun who's with the away team you know yeah yeah i don't I don't know what they're doing. Either that or they're making jokes while they're having lunch or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Their their introduction was great. The Hoshi yeah. lunch thing and then Reed being like nervous around them and things like that. Just, I don't know. Cerulio says, overall, I like the shipment because it makes the viewer realize how diverse and dispersed the, the Zindi actually are. I wish the Zindi arboreal miner was a little less naive about where the chemosite was going. If he had known that the chemosite was going towards weapons production, but thought it was being used to make conventional weapons instead of a WMD, I think there could be an interesting story beat. I'd like to have seen him come to grips with the scope of the Zindi attack on Earth when he had rationalized that he was only helping to build torpedoes for ship defenses. They could add another minor character who occasionally argued about selling chemocyte for weapons production to have a I told you so moment to increase the ter- miner's turmoil. Strong three out of five. It's a good solution there. He knows what mm-hmm. he's doing, but not aware of the scope. Latte yeah. Librarian says, Reed calling the psychic alien Hoshi's friend is rude since the alien tried to kidnap her. The head sloth Zindi is a lot more trusting of people who showed up to his house with guns than I would be. Trip to Paul and Flox all working on the Zindi weapon together was the best part of the episode. Who wants to take bets that there is a threesome fanfic already out there? Three chemocyte canisters out of five. Sorry, a threesome with who? Flox, to Paul, and uh, Trip where they're working on the weapon. Oh, Flox has I been see. angling for that the entire season, so it's what he wants. That does, that does seem like his end game, yeah. Fishing out his little phallic worm. All right, next down. Vault 13 Hero says, The shipment, I really find it hard to believe that there are no defenses or satellites for the planet that's building the weapon to save your entire species. Also, no one looks or even closes the locks or even closes their doors on this planet. I didn't like the shaming of Gralic by Malcolm. Looks like he lives alone. He's still searching for love. I digress. <laughs> it's a good episode, comparatively speaking. Three sub-quantum imprints out of five. He's Malcolm's only put calling that out because that's also what he does. Yeah, he I know. Doesn't, he, 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 he doesn't want to be called out as being a loner. He loner recognizes creep. him from the same Facebook group. Grappler mm-hmm. John Zorn says, The shipment, I've always liked this one. Well, the episode has some flaws. It's the first where we see Archer embracing core Federation nice guy values in order to solve the bigger problem. Grelick's final admonition of, uh, I hope you remember that all Zindi are not your enemy amounts to a pretty different thesis than Archer airlocking that one dude a few weeks back. In context <laughs> of both the season and an exploration of anti-Islamic attitudes in 2003, it's a satisfying progression. Also, Angry Archer demonstrates enough nuance in this episode to serve rather than detract from the narrative. I wonder if Vincent Schiavelli sold those Echo Papa drones to the reptilians. Oh, that's a good callback to the TNG Arsenal of Freedom episode. I get that reference. Four out of five. Last comment. I 
I have no idea what any of those words meant. Kyle Barrett says, The shipment, I see this episode as the first true test of the Zindi storyline. So far, each episode has pushed the serialized narrative forward, but has also relied on a generic Star Trek plot to ground itself, Exile being the perfect example. The shipment, however, is all Zindi all the time, and it's pretty damn good. We get more information and context on the Zindi. The storyline finally makes them uh, makes the them makes the timely but also timeless point about all Zindi not being the enemy, and this is probably the best use of Reed so far. My only issue is that Trip complains about not having an asteroid to test the weapon on when they are hiding behind a giant fucking moon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Four tasty-looking organic gun components out of five. Can't shoot the moon. They were hiding from the Zindi ship, right? Is that why they're supposed to be hiding be- there behind that moon that entire time? I think so, yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, patrons. Yeah. Thank you. Playing, playing a little fast and loose in this one with scanning technology, I think. Yeah. Um, thank you, patrons. Thank you very much for your thoughts. Thank you for supporting the show at patreon.com slash the file. Clay, what are you going to give this one? Uh, I'm going to give this one a four. Oh, okay. Because I think, I think ultimately what it is to me is it's the first one that feels like they are taking a realistic attempt at dealing with this Zindi story. Um. And I think they do a pretty good job with it. Uh, the, all as Kyle was saying, all the other ones have been just like Zindi elements, kind of background to regular Star Trek things. But this one was this was the first one where I felt like okay, they're trying to they're trying to do something here. Whether or not they're gonna continue to do that, it remains to be seen. I don't know. The next one might be about <sighs> to Paul getting stuck inside a closet <laughs> or something. I don't know. I'm going to but, uh, go ahead. I'm going to give it a three. I think it's a low three for me. Um, I think it's fine. I think that like it's typical Enterprise fineness for me. Everything is there mm-hmm. that you would expect it to be. The Zindi story and everything like that. I think that the plots work well together. I don't think there's really a problem. I think this episode has to happen. There has to be this moment where Archer makes this realization. Um, I am. I'm mostly looking at this, and perhaps it's unfair, but I'm looking at this mostly through the context of this is the last Star Trek show, therefore it's the latest, and it's the Star Trek mm-hmm. show that had the most Star Trek in front of it that it has to, that it had to concern itself with. And right. coming out in an era where TV was changing, I have to imagine at the time, if I was watching this live, I would, I would just have to think, this seems really simplistic. At this point, mm-hmm. this is like so childish in some ways. I um, I just come back to the point of it's obviously a good lesson to understand that not all people share the traits of their groups and that it's better to judge people for their individuality and things like that. However, it's it's a lesson that doesn't make sense in context because they are fighting a group called the Zindi that are trying to destroy them. There is a, there's like a common binding there. And it's, it's not that it's irrational or anything for, I just think that Archer's realization is just not nuanced enough there for this to make a lot of sense, especially when the reptilian Zindi are clearly evil and the arboreal Zindi are good, but they're all considered to be Zindi. I just don't think it has anything to say about, it just takes that very moving the goalpost point about uh, bigotry and applies it in a situation where I just think it's the last concern about anybody at uh, really. 
I don't know. It's strange. I'm just not, I'm not, I don't think that this episode is particularly um, thoughtful in those ways. And it's surprising yeah. because of how late it came out and you think that things would have changed for the show at this time, but it just felt like it was a typical Enterprise episode to me. So a three. That's it. I'm surprised that, um, <clears throat> maybe I'm not that surprised, but if you see, if you see HBO like cranking out the wire and the Sopranos and Oz and all this kind of stuff, and you have a have something like Star Trek, which is on its last legs, mm-hmm. clearly. Nemesis has just come out. I think Nemesis yeah. came out season two. The tank. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know why more people, more of these companies, don't think ahead a little bit and be like, "Hey, what if we let HBO make a Star Trek show?" I know. Yeah. These guys seem to be making pretty damn good TV, and we are <laughs> not doing that currently so what if we say what if we give them just sell them just, the rights yeah sell them yeah take take some cut of it yeah i don't know i mean or just copy time. It. you know it's like i this this just doesn't seem like that whole th- that one episode where archer to paul and trip just walk around looking for something in sickbay and they only say fuck <laughs> That's right. it's the only dialogue archer, in the scene archer and reed uh, chase down two Zindi in the woods and they shoot them, but they just get stuck in the woods overnight and it's extremely cold. <laughs> I I don't know. The Vulcan the Vulcan pressure point technique gets very graphic. I feel um I feel like I haven't made a good case defending my point of view in this one. So I think that I'm prepared for people to disagree with me, which is fine. But it's uh I let's see if I can sum it up better in this last sentence. I think that for all the Star Trek that came before this, Archer's lesson here is not good enough. And therefore it kind of takes away the reason for the show to exist, really. It's like if you like there's <laughs> I I've already learned these lessons in fifty nine million better Star Trek episodes. You know? Sure. I, sure. I know this yeah. lesson. I mm-hmm. I learned it from elementary school as well. I just I think that there's more to it than this and i thought that enterprise in the era that it came about and with the serious turn it's trying to take into a 9-11 allegory was prepared to say something and i don't think it did say anything at all that's it i don't know what the next episode is it's called twilight vampires werewolves the werewolf zindi and the vampires i know i know i know you're not being serious but i hope so (laughs) Well, there there might be a werewolf Zindi, but I don't know anything else. That's, have they ever done vampires on Star Trek? Like in a Star Trek spin on vampires? They must um, have. I mean, there's always a life force draining. I guess the yeah. can the candle ghost is kind of a vampire. In that's true. Sub Rosa. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll go with him. He uh, he also plays a vampire. Yep. In the Monster Squad. Yes, and he's also am I just he's also um. Who's the Bajoran in DS9? That's the same actor, right? It is. It's um, who's Kira's lover? Oh, oh, uh, v- Vedic Bar- Barile? No, not Barile. It's the other guy. No. Oh, the first guy, the guy who was the freedom fighter. Yes. <laughs> Shit, I can't uh, remember his name. Unfortunately, I don't know. He's I'm, dead. I'm not going to remember. Hold on, Kira's lover, not Barile. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> top Google search coming from Wes's house. <laughs> Personal relationship. Uh, top Shikar. top ten list Shikar. of Kira's lovers from Deep Space Nine who die. Shakar. Shakar. Shakar Edon. That's it. All right, yeah, we'll go out with that. that. We remembered so people can't get mad. Thanks very much, guys. We'll be back to Twilight. Uh, Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Uh, I don't know what week this is, but... Um, We're months we've in the got, future. Or months, yeah. Uh, we've got uh, Rotten Heart Picture Show still coming out every other week. I think when this comes out, we probably will just have had Hereditary come out, I think. It's probably likely. Uh, this is This is four weeks out or three weeks out, I think, so... Yeah, so that should probably that's about right, I think. So yeah, we had Hereditary with uh, Wes joined us on that one, and uh, our continuing coverage of the Friday Thirteenth movies will continue in April with Friday the Thirteenth: The Final Chapter, which is highly regarded as being the ultimate Friday the Thirteenth movie. So uh, that's going to be a good one to talk about. Nice. Um, join us. Number four out of twelve. Yep, the final chapter. Number third, four. Third, third of why. Thanks, mm-hmm. guys, for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Patreon.com slash Lipensky Otherwise, we're done. Thanks for listening to this very long podcast. See ya.